You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, as always, he's picking out a thermos for you. A very <laughs> special thermos for you, Mr. Jeff McLargehuge. Hey, that's me, local thermos enthusiast, Jeff McLargehuge. What's going on? How are you? I'm all right, man. I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. I've been watching my kid who's been, he started using an Oculus Rift. He's a video game guy. Okay. And getting to stand around and watch him stand in the middle of his room and wave his arms like he's having a seizure. Uh, with <laughs> is that a, a VR a helmet? Of, is that what that yeah, is? with a VR helmet on has been really interesting. Yeah, uh, I, I have one of those for my PlayStation, and I, I really should like film myself playing because I'm sure I look like a ding-dong. I was actually just watching on Netflix. There's a, there's a, a documentary series you know, by, by episode. I think there's like about six or seven episodes. Mm-hmm. It's called High Score. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw that that was on there. Yeah. Yeah. First, I only watched the first two episodes so far. The first one is dealing with, like, the very early arcade games and uh, the Atari 2600, the rise and fall of the the Atari 2600. Super, super, super interesting, especially for, like, you know, the Gen X that was around whenever that was happening. Like, they have the guy that programmed and invented Space Invaders, which was, like, I mean, there was Pong and there was Breakout, but Space Invaders was, like, the first real big, you know, video game. Yeah, I think think Space Invaders, like, in its most rudimentary sense, tells the story, right? Yeah. Well, that was like the first big Japanese video game, I think. Mm-hmm. Whereas Pong and uh, and Breakout were by Atari, so they they were yeah. an American company. I think wasn't Breakout programmed by Steve Jobs? I thought that was his his baby. It, it might very well might have been, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but like I said, that was Atari. That was uh that was an American company, right. and the, they have the guy. I don't remember his name. But they had the guy that programmed Space Invaders, and he goes. Yeah, I could get by the first level, but after that, no. He's actually not even very good at his own game. <laughs> well, there you go. You, it's like Frankenstein's monster, right? Dr. Yeah. Frankenstein makes a creature even he can't control. They were bringing up the fact that, you know, by 1983, whenever the video game crash happened, there was like around 500 games for the Atari. Right, and right, right. if you go back, like, through emulators and stuff like that and, like, play those games... I don't think you could find fifty good ones. You know, I don't. Probably think, not. No, nope. it it's it's like Lot in the Sodom and Gomorrah. I want you to find me ten good video games. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, yep. some of them. This is some real standouts like that Star Wars: The Empire Strikes Back. It was put out by Parker yeah. Brothers. I remember super, that game very well. Super, super good. Yeah. Yep. What was my favorite one? I mentioned a couple of weeks ago too. Sea Hunt by yep. Activision. Yeah, right. still super playable, but yep. some others. I used to like Mega Mania, the uh, yep. 
Yep, that was by yeah, Activision. I think that was an Activision well, yeah. title too. Yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, Mega Mania. That 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 played on the whole Space Invaders kind of shoot shoot towards the sky kind of a game. Yes. Another game that they bring up in that documentary was a game called Yars Revenge, which yes. is fun fun to say. You sound like a pirate. Yars. Yeah, Yars Revenge. Yes. And that was a fun game. I remember my friend Craig had it, and I was always trying to borrow it off of him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, that was one. I, that was one of the ones I had. And then that game was programmed by the same guy that programmed E.T., which was oh. basically the video <laughs> game that destroyed the, the home video game market for a few years. Right. And, and I'm pretty sure that was the that when E.T. was released. It wasn't just parents who were tired of paying 30 to $40 for a cartridge yeah. that their kids said, this game sucks, five oh, minutes sure, after yeah. they got home. I think the kids were like, you know what, enough of this. You know, yeah. I've had enough of these crappy games. We, this is the, we're not buying anymore. Yeah, I'm gonna go uh, read a book or take up skateboarding or or learn to smoke or something. The thing that happened with ET is the guy was saying that like the turnaround between uh, concept to programming to completion was right. usually you know four months, five months. They gave him a five week deadline. <laughs> yes. Well, do you know what the the quality triangle is, Bill? I do not. A quality triangle, something we use in training when we're building training, is each side is represented by fast, cheap, or good. And you can have any two sides you want. They clearly wanted fast and cheap. Oh, yeah. And they got it, too. When they first brought the concept to Steven Spielberg, he was like, can we make it kind of like Pac-Man? And the guy was like, no, we can't make it like Pac-Man. We already have Pac-Man. Yeah, I remember that. I had that game. It was not a good one. And another thing, too, was Atari actually became like a, a catch-all. You know like yeah. pe- you know how like people in the Midwest call everything Coke? Hey, what kind of Coke you want? Yes. A Sprite? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, playing video games. Yes, that's right, yes. Yeah, playing video games it was like, hey, you want to come over and play Atari? Even though you didn't have Atari, you had ColecoVision. It was Atari meant playing video right. games. Uh, so before we get the show started, uh, trivia, trivia question okay. for you. All the, right. The keyboard that you are currently staring at in front of the computer... Is laid out right. Yep, it's a core. Laid out as we like to call it as the QWERTY. Q W E R T Y U I O P layout. There. Do you know yep. why yep. the keyboard is in that order instead of oh I don't know the I, alphabet? I know exactly why because it's a QWERTY good keyboard. That's, How's that? That's, that's is that a pretty, good answer? It's QWERTY good, good man. All right. How about how about this? Uh, is it because the way that human fingers are with the index finger and middle finger of each hand on the inside? are typically the ones that are going to most often touch the more often used letters in the English alphabet. You are... When they're typing? Almost there, but not quite. I will give you the answer at the end of the show. All right, so let's let's make a podcast over here. Uh, All right. This is going to be the week beginning November the 9th, and this is going to be your turn to start, so hit it. All right. November 9th, 1953, the Supreme Court rules that Major League Baseball is exempt from American antitrust laws. That's why we only have one Major League Baseball franchise Mm -hmm. or a collective franchise, and they set ticket prices and have their own rule sets and don't have any competition. Is this this why it always seems like there's an American team that wins the World Series every year? Is that why? (laughs) <laughs> so it comes down to yeah, that's exactly why yes and 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 it's weird because like we only we don't play international i'm saying international games with with air quotes like there are right. there are some tournaments around the world where baseball teams play one another from other countries but we generally don't participate in those 
No, we don't um, want to break our perfect record. I mean, the Toronto Blue Jays <laughs> screwed it up for us like one year, I think, right? Well, we had the Montreal Expos as well oh, yeah, yeah. For, for a while. They were a team, too. But, no, I mean, but, but the Toronto Blue Jays won the World Series one year. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. But, but generally, you know, there'll be like a Japanese championship team plays a Korean championship team, etc. Right. And we just don't participate in that. We have our own internal all-star game where our two nas- our National League and our American League, two different organizations that we have, play each other. Mm-hmm. And that signals the second half of the season is starting and you're coming into the championship season. Right. Uh, except back, I want to say it was like 2014, the World Baseball Classic took place. And we participated in this World Cup-style national-based, nation-based baseball tournament that took place in Europe. Uh-huh. And it was amazing to watch. How did we do? We we did we, actually we did well. We got to the finals. We got housed by a team from Holland, the Holland national team, of all which places. was pretty much made up of a, a whole bunch of college kids and no professional players that had been on any American teams ever. I remember reading that their payroll for their national team was less than one tenth of the payroll of the lowest paid guy on, on the U.S. Wow. All Stars that went and played. And it was amazing to watch, and they just they beat us like we owed them money. It was great. <laughs> That's uh, amazing to watch. Yeah, I don't really know like a lot about baseball. I like playing it on on video games. The Atari version mm-hmm. of uh, baseball called Home Run was an atrocity, but other <laughs> other home yes. video games are, are, are pretty cool. I, I don't really know a lot about it. If I was going to guess, though, I was going to say that Japan would have been the ones to take us to bitch school because. Nope. Uh, they have uh, like baseball is very popular in Japan too, isn't it? Yes, it's super popular in Japan. Yeah. It was popular before World War II, and it became very popular again after World War II. Oh. And it's very popular in Korea and in other countries around the world too. I think uh, there's a, a baseball league in China. There's a base. There are baseball leagues in Africa in different African countries. So That's... it's definitely it's definitely spread out to be played. That's so funny. I, I think the reason why we don't compete in that is so that we can like kind of keep our nose clean because, you know, it's like America's pastime, baseball, and then turns out we're not really that good at it in the big picture. <laughs> well, it's it's. I think it was one of those like we went – do you remember the dream team, the basketball dream team that Absolutely, played in the Olympics? Absolutely, yes. So it was the same thing where the dream team is like these are the best players, literally the best players, the highest paid players mm-hmm. – professional players this is all they do all day long 24 hours a day seven days a week is play basketball and they're going off to play like slovenia who had to borrow basketball from bosnia and herzegovina and they had to they had to rent some shoes from croatia so you know yeah the the game's a little bit lopsided it's 265 to three (laughs) and so we sort of go in with that same sort of expectation that we're going to just wail on everybody like america (laughs) and and sometimes a, a team that just has us dead to rights beats us all right, so moving on to November the 10th, 1989. The Berlin Wall, which separated East and West Germany for a number of years, uh, begins uh, dismantling. Uh, we started tearing down the Berlin Wall. I remember that very, very well. That's, uh, that is like one of those things for Generation X that we lived through that history. That was like a huge monumental thing. Yep, it was something else. Generally, the credit for the collapse of the berlin wall is credited to ronald reagan and gorbachev's summit with the whole tear down this wall mr gorbachev but it's not entirely accurate as we learn as we study history what actually happened was that there was a a press conference by a guy named gernish shabowski who was a party leader in east berlin and the government spokesman he was 
handed a note right before the press conference started from the chancellor that said families don't have to meet these certain requirements before applying for a pass to go to West Germany. And he wasn't sure how to present it. So he just said everybody can go to West Germany at the end of the press conference. And and that's what happened. Oh, my God. It was an accident. It was a... <laughs> It was kind of an accident, yeah. Yeah, it was oops. Yeah, oops. Um, to hell with the Trabant, Gunther. Let's get the hell out of here. And that's what everybody kind of did. The Cold did. War ended by bureaucracy. That's amazing. And when they tried to close the gates, thousands upon thousands of people had already streamed out and started hammering the wall down. So, oh. yeah. yeah, I remember, I mean, they began dismantling it. It was, like I said, November the 10th. And then the following summer, Roger Waters performed the wall for the first time since, you know. Right, at Brandenburg yeah, Gate. Since uh, since Pink Floyd yeah. had broken up. Because he had made a statement that he would never perform the wall ever again unless there was some sort of monumental uh, event like, oh, I don't know, the Berlin Wall coming down. The Berlin Wall and coming then, down, yeah. <laughs> and then the Berlin Wall came down. And then, he, yeah, he performed the wall at where the Berlin Wall had once stood, which was crazy. I wonder if he was thinking to himself as he was watching that happen, like, oh, I never should have sold all those Starofilm <laughs> bricks. Yeah, I'm going to make a bunch of new ones. I remember that it was Albert Finney played the judge. And Thomas Dolby was the teacher, was the schoolmaster. Yep. Was there anybody else that was yep. that was in there yes. that was? Uh, Tim Curry played the bailiff. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Marianne yeah. Faithful was she was either mother or she was the wife. I think she was the wife. Okay. Cindy Lauper was a guest star, and so was Brian yep. Adams of all people. Yep. Yeah. Well, more Canadians represented world yeah. over. All, all right. right. So what do we have for the eleventh? The eleventh is a fun day. Because we've got a double number special. The thing with these three historical pieces is that they all contain double numbers. So in 1918, which is not a double number, but in 1918, at 11.11 11 a.m., the armistice for the ending of the First World War was signed. Ah. So the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month and the 11th minute, World War One came ah. to an end, officially. Yeah. That's but cool. not to be outdone. Okay. Go on. I guess. In 19, 1926, which is also not a double number, but Route 66 is established. Ah, America's Highway. You know, if you bring America's Highway to another country, they get their asses kicked. It's just true. <laughs> they get housed. And as if to say, pshaw, to the armistice in Route 66, Joseph Heller's book, Catch-22, is published by Simon & Schuster in New York. Ah. So, 11, 11, 11, 11. Uh, Route 66 and Catch-22. All interesting things. And I don't know if, if the audience is, a, is readers. I'm a reader. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm like easy reader. Oh, we, we got ourselves one of them readers. How do you like that, bookworm? In advance of the Hulu-based, the Hulu-presented Catch-22 series that aired last mm-hmm. year, I reread this. The first time I'd reread it since, I think, ninth grade uh-huh. or something. And absolutely loved it. It's a super fun book. Yeah, I don't out. know much about that story. Like, I know what a Catch-22 is. Chicken mm-hmm. and Egg is the cliche of Catch-22. Is it named after the book, or was the book named after the cliche? Okay, so the cliche in the book is actually that the a captain who's a navigator and a bombardier on a B-17, or B-10 bomber, I think, in the B-10 bomber in the book, you have to fly a certain number of missions before your crew is retired, and that number keeps climbing up. So he goes to see the doctor, and he says, Doc, I can't go up in that plane anymore. I'm crazy. You have to write up something that says I'm too crazy to fly the plane. And the doctor says, okay, I can write that, but the problem is Catch-22. And he says, well, it's Catch-22. He says, Catch-22 is that the only people who would get up in that plane and go and bomb Germany or bomb Italy are crazy. (laughs) But the only way that you can get out of going up in that plane and bombing Italy is to be insane. And that's the catch, Catch-22. And he goes, oh, that's a hell of a catch, you know? <laughs> so it's sort of, you're sort of mixing the chicken and egg metaphor into it, but 
it sort of applies too. Okay. You have to be crazy to fly these bomber missions, but the only way you can't fly these bomber missions is to be crazy. Then you said the series is on Hulu. Yeah, the series is on Hulu. It's it's, it's okay. It's it's like any other adaptation. They have to add stuff to it to make it palatable over a long form, ten episodes or something. Uh-huh. But uh, it was all right. The books a lot. A lot more interesting, but the, the series was pretty good. Um, after I get done with uh, High Score, maybe I'll look into that. Yeah. Oh, this is... <laughs> here we go. One of one of my favorite topics. Here we go. Ready? November the 12th, 1933, yep. the first photo of the Loch Ness Monster was taken. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was not. <laughs> no, it was not. Yep. So, the... Uh, the <laughs> The Loch Ness monster, like uh, like our good friend Mr. Sasquatch, the Bigfoot, is a cryptozoology creature. Legend has it that somehow a sea serpent kind of dinosaur kind of was able to survive. I don't know if it like survived from the dinosaur era or if its species managed to survive some of the dinosaur era, but somehow in this uh, loch or a lake. In the middle of Scotland lives a dinosaur, and her name is Nessie. Yes, yes. and this famous photo, which literally everybody on Earth has seen, mm-hmm. taken by a dentist named Hugh Gray and sent around the world. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a big zoomed-in picture of what looks like a like a plesiosaur neck and a humped body reaching out of the water. And it's in that weird 1930s black and white Super high contrast, very, very indistinct and a little bit blurry style that people still look at today and go, that's a sea monster if I've ever seen one. Except Hugh Gray's son, I think, has come out and said, yeah, this was a toy submarine that my dad stuck a wooden thing on. Here's the submarine with the wooden thing stuck on it. Yeah, like like Hugh Gray, like on his deathbed said, yeah, we made the whole thing up. He yeah, like, we made the whole thing up. Yeah, he like uh, like deathbed confession. And like, there's still people that think it's there. Yes. It's like, no, ding dong. It's not. <laughs> and the, and the, a funny thing about that picture, too, is what we normally see in our mind's eye when we think of that picture is extremely zoomed in. If you've yeah. ever seen the original picture, you can tell that that is not the size of a sea serpent. It looks no. about the size of an arm. I thought it looked like a duck when I saw the original picture. I'm like, oh, it's a duck. Yep. You know, quack, quack. Yeah. Like Nessie. Yeah, like some like a like a hand holding a a, um, a puppet, like like yeah. put it like like somebody just ripped Kermit the Frog right off of Jim Henson's <laughs> hand, and then you just see like ah, you know, and and like Jim Henson doesn't realize that Kermit's gone, and he's still kind of doing the yep. thing out of the water. Still, yes, that's it. Loch Ness monster. Yeah, Loch Ness non monster. Yes, and then, I guess in recent years they've done stuff like they've tested the they've looked in the water for traces of DNA of all the animals that live in the lock and they found like weird eels and they found some fish and they found some vegetable matter and they haven't found too much of anything else. Now, I just want you to just like picture the amount of money and time and resources that have been spent by like legit scientists and Nessie enthusiasts, okay? Mm. Just think about all the man hours that's gone into this, okay? After our friend, the dentist, confessed that he made the whole thing up. And people are still there looking for it. Well, it's one of those you can't you can't believe that something that you've believed in for so long is a crock of Scottish <laughs> muddy water, right? You can't. You don't believe that. You, I can't. It, it can't possibly be fake. I've given 75 years of my life to chasing this thing down. Right, right. Of course it's out there. I can't be that stupid. <laughs> Look at me. I have I have a radar gun and I'm wearing a hat. I'm doubling some tinfoil on it. I'm doubling down you on know. my stupid. <laughs> there must be something out there. There's so many stories. And, and admittedly, the legendary stories go back 
back hundreds of years right. of people seeing weird things in this particular lock. But again, you know, we're talking about just this particular photo this- of what looks like a duck. <laughs> if it looks like a duck quacks like a duck it's probably a sea serpent is what i'm saying to you uh, what i'm saying is if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck it's probably a submarine model with a wooden thing stuck <laughs> on top of it made by some crafty dentist and it's funny that you bring up dentists because our next day november 13th features a dentist uh, for all of our listeners who have a thing for fingernails and who does uh, in 19 19- Who doesn't love fingernails? As long as they don't find them in my food. November 13th of 1952, false fingernails are first sold in the United States. They were invented in the same year by a dentist named Fred Slack, who broke his fingernail while he was at work. Oh my God, in somebody's mouth? (laughs) Probably, Uh! ew. And, and, well, he probably, maybe maybe he caught it on a drawer. Okay. Let's just say that. For the love of all that is right with the world, we don't (laughs) want to think about that. Otherwise. And he created an artificial nail out of dental material, dental amalgam, I'm going to guess. And then started messing around with it. It was like, hey, it looks just like a fingernail. That looks pretty. It looks better than my other fingernails. Looking good. I bet people would pay money for false fingernails, especially if they have a job where they can't have long fingernails, but they want to have long fingernails when they're at home. Or out of the town. He went through a whole bunch of different substances to find the right material and patented it into what his company was called was Patty Nails. (laughs) And he started selling... Uh, patty nails out through different department stores and stuff. What year was this again? 1952. Uh, yeah, so I'm willing to bet that banjo players were a little easier to come by at that time. Right, right, what right. What a market. Yep. Uh, patty nails. Patty nails. And then the, the legendary Lee Press-On nails came in uh, afterwards, I'm going to guess. Yes. Uh, again, these were the first ones that I think you applied them with, a, you probably applied them with a brush and then they dried and you could apply another coat. And they would dry, and there may be something that used to shape them. But it was—it's effectively like air drying dental amalgam, is what he started with. So oh, right. the stuff that used to make fillings—that's what you used to make the first temporary nails. Oh, I would see. Whenever you said like fake fingernails, I'm thinking like daytime trash television, kind of like those kind of fingernails. Which well, I th- I think that when when he started to sell them as patty nails, that's what they were. Okay. So they were pre-shaped out of that stuff. Okay. So that they were, had a general curve and feel that made them look like fingernails. So you could just glue them, glue them onto your fingers, your natural fingers, and paint them whatever color you wanted. Or I don't know if they originally came in other colors. It was when he found the right mixture of chemicals to make them strong enough to tap on things and look nice and not sh- shatter into a zillion pieces or bend or whatever that he started to release them in sets. Because like you know, like sometimes you see those women, you're like, how how did you dial a telephone with that? You know? <laughs> yes. So. Just, I still see that every now and then. I'm, I'm going to die laughing next time I have to go see my dentist and he like just comes walk if he comes like walking in with these like darling nails like oh look what i just had done huh and rubs him on the on his apron yeah. you know <laughs> yes I'll, I'll start in a minute i'm just waiting for them to dry i'm like oh good <laughs> <laughs> do you smell that that lovely smell that's my French tips. Oh, acetone. I love the smell of acetone in the morning. It smells like victory. Speaking of victory, this product could only claim victory in the hearts of me and probably Star-Lord from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. The Microsoft Zune makes its debut on November the 14th, 2006. Ah, the Zune. I'd like to say you, Star-Lord, and possibly three other people on planet Earth. Yep. Uh, yeah. Now, the Zune was an MP3 player made to compete with the iPod. It did not compete with the iPod uh, in terms right. of sales. Now, I had the Zune. I actually still have the Zune software 
uh, installed on my computer, which is probably what makes it crash all the time. <laughs> I saw it. Maybe. Um, but it's still there. To me, the Zoom was such a easier product. We talked about the uh, the cell phones uh, the last week of the week before. Yep. Like uh, the iPhones and the iPods and the iCarumba. <laughs> um, you know, all of them, they're all tied into the same software. They're all, you know. They're all together. Right. And it's proprietary, so there's not a lot of like third-party stuff going on and all that stuff. Right. Now, with the Zune, it, everything was just easier. The The software was easier to manage. I love the podcast, the software on it. It was really... Uh, this is before you know Wi-Fi. It's like you still right. had to connect it every morning, but it downloaded all your mm-hmm. podcasts for you and you know deleted the ones you didn't need anymore and all that stuff. The podcasting software on it was great. And the screen was bigger. The screen was much bigger than the uh, the iPod. So if you're going to watch movies on it, it was a lot easier to do. And com- like compared to the iPod, it, while it, the Zune wasn't also ran, and Microsoft put a lot of money and thought into how, what they saw as the feature set that it needed, by the time it had come out and started to gain a little bit of market share, iTunes sort of took the wind out of Microsoft's music store possibilities by relinquishing their DRM. Right. They stopped tagging all the stuff in their library with DRM copies that could only be played on an iPod. So now people who had other devices could go and find MP3s of all their songs in their library and move them to a removable hard drive or something else that wasn't possible before unless you were only going to listen to them in the iTunes software or an iPod that was Right, connected to that iTunes account. And in doing that, Duck took the last of the walled garden kind of down for Apple and allowed other people to buy it. Yeah, that was the advantage for Zoom is you didn't have to buy your stuff through the... uh the, right. the iTunes store. You could get MP3s from anywhere. Nefarious resources not what's it. <laughs> well well that was always the case with, with the I with with the with the iPod too. You could it had a in an onboard C D ripper that would make MP3s in a click. Yep. And you could find MP3s in other places and put them in your library and add them to to the iTunes. It's just if you were buying things from the iTunes store, their market was like that the iPod was like a gateway to the store oh, itself. I see, I see. And Zune was sort of like that, too, because there was a Microsoft Music Store. Yeah, I never used that. That was tied to the <laughs> Zune software. I never used that once. So there you go. So there, that's exactly one of the reasons that yeah. it failed. Now, I remember going to the like Best Buy because I wanted to buy like some sort of peripheral. They had a few peripherals for the Zune. And I remember going in there, and then I couldn't find the Zune section. And, the, <laughs> and then, yeah, bad. I found out that they had discontinued. I was like, oh. And then, like my my Zoom started to get you know wear and tear, and it like died. So I like I bought another one quickly, you know, from like a, a Amazon store or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then yep. that one, I remember this is so heartbreaking. I was at Satellite Beach in Florida, and I dropped my Zoom in the water. Oh. And I was I remember I I, I actually good. remember what song I was listening to. I was listening to a song called Ocean Cloud, oddly enough. <laughs> oh my god, that was the longest ride home ever because I drove there. I drove to Florida, right? I had to drive thirteen hundred miles back with only the radio. Oh yeah, I I would have hit a bridge abutment or something by uh, then. Um you know, rumor yeah. has it that Microsoft collected all of the unsold zunes in about 2012 and they buried them all out in the middle of the <laughs> desert where they heard there's a bunch of atari cartridges i don't believe it i'm gonna go digging for them <laughs> yeah all right so last day what do we have the 15th we <laughs> remember we talked about the beautiful 1990s and how weird music was yes well, in 1990, we had a f- fantastic music scandal, which seems amazingly small scale today compared to 
other scandals that we've we've all lived through in the years since. But the producers have confirmed that Millie Vanilli album, Girl You Know It's True, was not sung by the faces on the album of Rob and Fab, but was some band of two singers that were part of a studio musician team that were hired by the producers to record this record. You know what's interesting? Yep. It wasn't actually two, it was three. Ah. <laughs> it was two guys and a girl. Oh, I wonder where the... They, I guess they couldn't find another Illy to stick in the name. <laughs> their whole, like, sh- I don't want to say shtick, but their whole performance came to a crashing halt when during a quote-unquote live show the record that they were singing along to began to skip there's video of this on youtube where poor fab is go or poor rob is going girl you know it's girl you know it's girl you, and nobody nobody like bumps the record player or anything to get him out of there and at that point i got a lot of questions i, I think so that that was a setup that was a sting so operation no doubt in my mind because in 1990 who the hell is using I, I, Again, records. I mean, I'm. I, I mean, I guess a CD can skip. Not you know, to an not, extent. Not like that. And you think that the audience would have known that. when, right as Millie Vanilli are getting ready to come out on stage for the first song, which is probably going to be the first song on the album, right? Nobody hears. <laughs> Which is the standard issue sound you hear when you put a needle on a record anyway. And realize they were listening to, you know, the vinyl version of two people or three people singing that weren't these two guys on stage. I've never heard a song fade out in concert before. That's interesting. <laughs> it's just like the album. It sounds just like the record. I've never heard anything like it. These guys are so good. You can't even tell. You know what was like the, the big, the big tragedy? tragedy the big musical tragedy to me in that is um i mean everybody made fun of them like relentlessly after that i remember arsenio hall was very popular at the time and he had a field day with that but he made sure that when robin fob put out an album with them actually singing he had them on the show yes he had them on the show performing live he was very excited about it and the big tragedy to me is if anybody's listening that actually was like was around back then and god knows whatever reason you went out and you bought the Millie Vanilli album what the hell is wrong with you for starters and for second if you like it if you like that album if you like that music if that's your if that's your uh your bag of grapes right yeah why didn't they give a record contract to the people who actually sang on it and they could probably sell more records but no they gave it to these two german dancers right. you know and who couldn't sing did you ever hear the robin <laughs> fob stuff yeah it's not good it's not Link good. Link in description. <laughs> it's not good. It's That will show up at some point in Worst Song Ever, I'm sure. Yeah, but I know exactly why they did that. Just like Christopher Cross and other people who were not photogenic, the guys who were in that studio band were all older musicians who'd been in the studio system for a long time. They didn't look like people who would be on MTV. They didn't look like the kind of guys who would sing this song. They didn't have the physical characteristics that the record label was looking to put forward for the image of the band as this new thing, this new pop thing, where the target audience for this is like 12 to 17 or 16 to 22. They looked very questionable in a pair of bicycle shorts. They definitely did. They certainly couldn't have done the bicycle shorts thing. They might have been able to do like the, you know, the four-legged cane thing, but not the bicycle shorts thing. (laughs) And that's because where is the big, where do people go to get famous in the 1980s and 1990s in the music industry? They go to MTV. Right. And if you're going to be pushing a bunch of like 45-year-old guys who have been working as background singers for 100 years on stage, they better have something to sing. And Girl You Know It's True is a lame-ass pop song. And I like it, but it's lame. It's got nothing going on lyrically or anything. You know, the beats... You know whose fault, eh. fault it is? I blame it on the rain. Blame it on the rain. <laughs> it was falling, falling. Blame it on the rain. All right, so uh, let's get into the celebrity birthdays. Yes. 
November the 9th, 1951, your friend and mine, the original Incredible Hulk, Lou Ferrigno. And the last of all cinematic Herculeses, Lou oh, Ferrigno. Yeah. Yes, in the yep. terrible Italian Louis G. Causey Hercules movies. One of my favorite actors in schlocky cinema. Good old Lou. <laughs> I'm yet to meet him. I heard he's a super, super, super nice guy. I did hear a funny story from Penn Gillette about him, mm-hmm. though. Apparently, when Lou Ferrigno really likes a person, he will hit them. Oh, good. You know? He'll punch him in the arm and stuff like that. Now, Penn Gillette does not like that. He goes, so there was this like weird dichotomy of like, he really likes me and I really like him, but he hits me and I don't like that at all. <laughs> all right, next up on the 10th, who do we got? And November 10th, 1871, Winston Churchill was born. Winston Churchill is played by Sean Connery as, for this. As played by Sean Connery for this. First Lord of the Admiralty uh, during World War One, and then later Prime Minister of Britain during World War Two. Uh, famous for his dry wit and ability to politic. Uh, my favorite quote of his is one evening, he's clearly several glasses of probably expensive brandy to the wind. Woman says to him, Prime Minister Churchill, you're drunk! And he says, That is true, madam, but tomorrow morning I will wake up sober. And you will still be ugly. <laughs> so funny dude. Yep. Any Iron Maiden fan worth their salt knows Winston Churchill as the We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in f- at the beginning of Aces yes, High. Yep. Moving on, November the 11th, 1962. The former Mrs. Bruce Willis, Debbie Moore. Debbie Moore, yeah. First films, 1982 or 83's terrible 3D extravaganza, Parasite. Oh, oh, Parasite, yep. Yeah, which I just watched not that long ago. And you know what? That movie's solid. Is it? That movie holds up, yeah. It's not a bad movie. It's not a bad movie at all. I don't remember anything about that movie. My... The only memory I have attached to that movie is we had a, a movie house down here called Cinema 140. That's where I saw it. Well, lucky you did see it because while that movie was playing, the roof like blew off. Uh, like or something, something collapsed over there. And Cinema One Forty only had like two theaters for yeah. a lot of years. Yep. And then like the roof collapsed like during Parasite, and then it was shut down for about six months. And then when it reopened, they had like five or six theaters then. Uh, but Demi Moore, I think I think my favorite Demi Moore quote is. <laughs> That chick has got one husky, uh, one husky voice. She definitely does have a husky voice. Yes. I don't know. Did, has she ever done any like Academy Award-winning, you know, film of a an Austrian nun who's on the run from the and and rescues a deaf baby and raises it to a, to, to become prime minister of Britain? Or no, no movies like that. No like prestige pictures for her. Tell me more. We shall remember. go on to the end. We shall fight in France. <laughs> Demi Moore is Winston Churchill. <laughs> And in the streets. <laughs> you, you will still be ugly. Uh, oh. Hey, remember that episode uh, where we took a huge dump on Demi Moore? <laughs> yeah, we didn't, we didn't really mean to. All right. Next up, who do we got? Yes. November 12th, another actress uh, with a long and, and varied history of projects. Uh, born in 1982, Anne Hathaway. I like Anne Hathaway. I think Anne Hathaway. I like Anne Hathaway too. I think Anne Hathaway is gorgeous, and she must be really gorgeous because she falls into that category that if I think she's gorgeous, if I mention that to a girl, they'd be like, "Oh, I hate her." So yeah. she must be like super gorgeous because uh, she's got a lot of hate coming from the other side of the other side of the aisle. It could be. Yep. It could be. I think she's a pretty good actress too. I mean, I remember when she kind of started in the Princess Diaries movies because mm-hmm. my daughter watched them 
a surprisingly large amount of time when she was seven or eight years old. Most recently, she was in my like my favorite film of 2017, which was a, a weird giant monster movie called Colossal. Uh-huh. Was fantastic, and she was great in that one, playing this sort of messed up, shiftless, aimless party girl who goes back home, realizes that she shares a point in space on Earth with a giant monster in Korea. I enjoyed her as Catwoman. In the, uh, in the, Bat- yep. in the Batman film. The dark. There are certain points where Anne Hathaway looks like a female Paul Stanley. Now, there's other points in time <laughs> where Paul Stanley also looks like a female Paul Stanley. But I do not find Paul Stanley to be an attractive woman like I find Anne Hathaway. Although I am curious to find she- out what Anne Hathaway's stance on Colt Jen is. <laughs> she definitely does wear less makeup. Yes. Yes. She puts the X in sex, that lady. All right. She, moving on. Uh November the 13th, 1956, Canadian superstar rocker that, trust me, unless you're a Generation X, you've never heard of him, Aldo Nova. <laughs> and everybody from Generation X knows exactly who you just mentioned. Aldo Nova was... And they just saw a helicopter in their mind's eye and uh, yellow and black sleeveless t-shirt no he had um he had like leopard skin pjs almost oh my god that's right yes leopard skin so alden Noble yes. was this canadian rocker and he had a song called fantasy now when mtv yep. first aired they pro they you know they had to fill up 24 hours worth of programming every day and they probably had enough music videos to fill in about maybe six of those hours so they were just taking anything from anybody at that point. And Al Donova right. fit into that category. And he had this yes. song, Fantasy. And they played the holy hell out of that song. And yes. I believe they had a second video from him. But go ahead, put a gun to my head. I don't remember. All I, I remember is remember it. Fantasy by Aldo Nova. All right, next up, who do we have? November 14th, 1964. Reverend Run or Joseph Run Simmons of Run DMC is born. Who's Three guys from New York who literally changed the face of hip-hop and still remained in the shadows until several years after. And it was all an appearance where up until they started their thing, hip-hop was way more like George Clinton with spaceships and capes and crazy costumes and stuff. And then Run DMC are like in tracksuits and that's it. And it it broke it and it made it, it like toned down that look and made it more acceptable Mm -hmm. made it more visibly norm normalized and it gave it away into mtv they didn't get really popular with white audiences until they did the cover with aerosmith but they had been a force of nature in hip-hop for years before that you know when we were in school there was that big red line like right down the middle where you had the metal on one side you know the hip-hop on the other side and never the twain shall meet you know, it was it was right. very, you know, one or the other to the point where if you were somebody that liked metal and you happened to like, you know, run DMC, it was an anomaly. Yep. It was such a one or the other at that time. While I was on the rock side, I, I didn't I didn't get into any form of hip hop until much later. I, I still don't really like 80s hip hop. I like 90s hip hop a lot mm-hmm. better. But I always kind of thought that run dmc were cool i didn't really like them but i thought they were cool they they definitely had a look to them and and of course they had two of my favorite people penn and teller in their it's tricky video all right and wrapping up the birthdays Ooh yeah on november the 15th of 1952 a man by the name of randy poffo better known to the world 
Yeah, dig it. That's a macho man Randy Savage. Yeah, ain't that something, something, something. <laughs> you do that Thanks. pretty good. Macho Man Randy Savage in the professional wrestling world is everybody has very, very fond memories of him. He was a much smaller guy. You know, I mean, at that time, Hulk Hogan was the biggest thing. And Macho Man standing next to Hulk Hogan is apples and oranges. He's, he's a lot smaller than Hogan. But whenever they had their feud, you believed it. And it's because it was kind of true. Macho Man Savage and Hogan didn't really get along. Right. And one thing about professional wrestling is best wrestlers in the world. Let's just say it was you and me. We could okay. go in there and not say two words to each other. And we could have a match and have it look good. You know? I have. I find it hard to believe that we could go anywhere and not say two words to each other. But I, I, I'm on board for the rest okay. of that statement. All right, because you know there's a certain flow to wrestling, and then to make it look good, yes. and you know there's there's a code and there's body language and all that. Randy Savage right. was an anomaly in that sense, where he did not like to improvise at all. If you had a match right. with Randy Savage, you went through that match move by move and you had to have it memorized in order to wrestle him he liked that stuff down to a, a like the last possible note what, wasn't he the guy that got bit by the cobra yes yeah i remember yep, that yep <laughs> jake the snake's cobra talk about taking right. one for the team i don't care if that thing is devenomized <laughs> you get to you know you get that thing clamping down even if it doesn't have fangs you get that thing clamping down on your bicep like that yeah yeah that must have shaved a couple of years off of everybody in the audience's life I, I was watching it on I, television I, I was i was like oh my god <laughs> you can imagine i used to love it whenever macho man savage would be doing his his promos and he would talk real dig it he was one of those guys that really cultivated that that larger than life image that that made it so that you wanted to listen to whatever he said, even though what was coming out of his mouth was ninety nine percent insanity. Oh, yeah, and he went like really like cuckoo like later on. Like he ended up recording, hand to God, this this is real. He recorded like a rap album, like calling out Hulk Hogan, like challenging him to a fight. <laughs> like like check this sentence out, okay? Because this is an actual thing. Macho Man Randy Savage recorded a diss track for Hulk Hogan. That happened. <laughs> we'll have to find that. I have a feeling that might find a home on this show. It might. November 15th is also the birth date in 1974 of Canadian singer Chad Kroger of Nickelback. Chad Kroger of Nickelback. You know, I bet you uh, I bet you at one point or another he has written The Worst Song Ever. But we're not talking about Chad Kroger today for the worst song ever. Who is our contender? This week's song falls to our besotted ears from the year 1984. From the still not dead Paul McCartney. <laughs> the late great Paul McCartney. <laughs> the, still, the, the still very much alive Paul McCartney, as if to prove the doubters wrong, has released a song and a cartoon featuring the song We All Stand together uh it's also sometimes referred to as the frog song or the frog chorus i think the record says paul mccartney and the frog chorus and it's very clearly a children's song and it is the most lifeless gleeless <laughs> sad sounding but not sad content children's song in the history of songs and it's all right awful. hold on i'm i have actually completely green haha <laughs> see what i did there i'm completely green to this um Let's play a clip because this I've I've actually never heard this before. 
Now that is like, <laughs> that's like a dirge. What the hell? Yeah, I, I don't, I've never seen the cartoon that, that it's from. It, the, the cartoon is called Rupert and the Frog Song. So there must be some reason that it's there. But it's it's just such a, such a weird, downbeat, overly distorted, laid on voices, slow tempo. It's not something I could imagine a child ever wanting to listen to on purpose <laughs> or asking to listen to from their parents. Or singing along with, like in a preschool or on a playground or I mean, yeah. anywhere that didn't involve funeral cars. Like, it's just it's awful. It's got Paul McCartney's fingerprints, like, all over it. Like, it's got that almost, yep. um, that, that Wings song. They have that. Let's get that. <laughs> it's, it's got yes. that. It's like, it almost gets there. You're like, you, you can almost hear the, you know, coming in if it needed to be. And, yes. um, I don't know. Paul McCartney had a thing for the sea trumpet, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. This is just weirdness. Uh, you yes. know, Paul McCartney, I'm, I'm going to give this guy, t- the only th- credit I'm going to give this guy is the fact that he was in the Beatles. Because when left to his own devices, Paul McCartney is a madman. <laughs> he definitely plays against type. Um, I will say this about this song. The side two version, the side two, the B-side of this song is the same song, except it's just Paul McCartney humming it along with the Finchley Frogettes, which are the, the women who did the the frog chorus uh-huh. on the first side. So I've never heard the B side, but I have heard the A side and the A side is We're going to have to have a, like a special episode of nothing but Paul McCartney songs at one point. <laughs> and it's too bad. Cause like I, even the Paul McCartney songs that I generally make fun of, like you bring up the Admiral Halsey, uncle Albert song a minute ago. I like that song. I sing along with that stupid pointless song. Every time uh, I I'm, hear I'm, it, I'm actually every about, single I'm actually time. talking about like, Ebony and Ivory. Yeah, I don't sing along with that one. I, but I also never or, hear that one. I do hear the Pipes of Peace a surprisingly large amount of times, and I sing along or, with that uh, one. What's the other one there? And The Girl the is Mine. The Girl <laughs> is Mine, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Hey, uh, and, and, and as if to add insult to the injury of having to listen to this song this song was also redone by nickelback <laughs> i'm saying that as fast as i can because I, I don't like to i don't like to say it I'll, slow because if i say it too the, many times I've, i'm gonna hear I'll them take somewhere one for the team just in case you, nobody caught you this song was covered by nickelback it was that, that is rubbing, uh, birthday boy chad yeah, kroger that is rubbing salt on the snail right there holy cow and and they play there's more like a sort of pop country version but the lyrics are the same and it's i don't know it's just not it, it it shows the weakness in the songwriting just in general, irrespective, I think, of who plays it. But without all the distortion and weird effects and stuff that makes it like a children's song, it's just like a, it's like somebody, like, it imagine me of something that a teenager would hear, a young teenager would hear as they're psyching themselves up to go and ask a girl to dance. Like, we're all in this together. I can do this. I'm amazing. This is going to be great. And and it's it has no value beyond that. <laughs> Alvaro Levine come in and go... <laughs> 
no. Then there is no saving grace. There's no saving this song. All right. So before we wrap up the uh, the the episode here, here is the answer to our trivia question. The question was, why is a QWERTY keyboard laid out in such a apparently random set of uh, circumstances instead of, oh, I don't know, the alphabet. Now, hmm. what was your guess? I'm going to say this is my original guess. My original guess was that because your index finger and middle finger and thumb are all on the inside, they're the ones that are most often going to be touching the most often used letters in typical English words in the English alphabet. Yes. That is almost the answer, but not quite there. The reason hmm. why they are in that order is because... On the old typewriters, whenever you would hit the key, this arm would come up and, you know, hit dead center. And people were typing so fast that they mixed up the order like that so that it would give the arms time to reset so that they wouldn't get all locked up and smashed on top of one another. Oh, well, that makes a lot more sense than what was going on behind my eyebrows. It was actually made to slow people's typing down. Rather than your guess of because it would make him type faster. Huh. Well, mission accomplished, yep. Mr. Keyboard, with Q W E R T Y yeah, on it. Mr. Keyword. And and I, I'm gonna guess that's why my like that's why I can't use any of my son's computer peripherals because he uses a Dvorak keyboard, which is D V O R A K at the Q W E R T Y line and it's a different layout altogether because it's more natural and that one's built around how often you hit the different oh, keys. My God. And I guess you could type a lot faster on it. And every time I type it, I feel like I'm, I'm Helen I'm, Keller. I'm, I'm a programmer. So. for That's my occupation. I'm always using mm-hmm. the keyboard, and I still chicken peck. Uh, I, I, I use all 10. So. Well, must be nice to be you. All right, but that's going to wrap up the episode. All yeah. right, we'll see you guys next week. Have a good week, everyone. Say good night, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Special thanks to James Cosa for our theme music. Thank you so much for listening to Twibbly. This week was way better last year. You can follow and or message us over on Instagram or on Facebook at T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Make sure you tell your friends if you like our show. And if you don't like our show, tell your friends you did like it. It'll be a great prank you can play on them. Have a good week, guys.